This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Uh, so we're in a series uh, called Follow Me. Um, and in the series, it's, it's, it came from this idea of the past you know, year, uh, we've been stripped away from church and the rhythms of church, the rhythms of community, and we've been left bare with what we have, God and us. And as uh, one of the sisters mentioned in the uh, previous um, you know, hello videos, she talked about how uh, she's been exposed. And I think for many of us, we've been exposed. And so we're learning about uh, Jesus and what he talked about in terms of following him, and that we would genuinely understand that it is not an easy thing to follow Christ. In fact, it's actually the first thing that he told Peter. It's the last thing that he told Peter, follow me. What this shows us is that uh, wherever, you know, if you consider yourself a young Christian or a mature believer, uh, or if you're seeking, it's of utmost, uh, utmost importance that we learn how to follow him. Because uh, I think for many of us, the Christian struggle is this. Uh, the Christian struggle is not that you don't believe, it's that you don't know how to follow. You don't know how to follow, right? For many of us, we believe. We believe that God is good. We believe that God is doing something in this season of COVID. But you've struggled in, in feeling that connection with God, with people. You feel that you've, you've been just you know, on cruise control in your faith. And so we're trying to figure out and really study these passages of what it meant to follow Christ. And in this passage... We're talking about following him and counting the cost. That we would count the cost. That you today, if you've been a believer for 30 years, again, you would count the cost and ask yourself, am I following? Do I want to continue to follow? And we start in verse 18. And in verse 18, it sets up this whole teaching because it's a physical representation of what we are to be in our heart, to literally follow him and in our spiritual heart, in our, in our spirituality, to follow him. And so in verse 18, it says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. There's a crowd around him. And what we'll see is, is uh, in a little bit, he leaves this crowd. And as he leaves this crowd, uh, two uh, would-be disciples, two almost disciples, approach him and say, Jesus, I will follow you. And so you would think, you know, Jesus who came from heaven to earth to start this mission, uh, this mission to gather uh, his people to himself, you would think that those that are interested in following him, that he would say, yes, come. I came to give life. You are my mission. I came to give you love, uh, to love you and to give you life. You would think that's what he would say, but that is not what he says. What he says is there's a cost. You want to follow me? Yes, I, I bridged heaven and earth to, to come. As people come and want to follow, uh, this is a big idea. When following Jesus... Take a hard look at the road ahead. Take a hard look at the road behind. 
Then fix your eyes on Christ. Then fix your eyes on Christ. Because just like Peter, he heard, he, he heard the call of Jesus and he stood up and followed. But the very last words, knowing that Jesus, he himself would leave, he tells Peter, follow me. And that's a passage that we'll look at next week. You see, it's because uh, no one casually runs a marathon and no one casually follows Christ. And if you're casually following Christ, chances are you're following no one. And so uh, let's uh, take a look at what he is saying as these almost enthusiastic disciples say, I want to follow. The first thing that he warns them is take a hard look at the road ahead. Take a long, hard look at the journey that you want to go on. And he essentially asks, do you want to go on this road? In verse 19, a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. These are the kind of statements that love songs are made of, right? This is the kind of thing that you say uh, on your wedding day, right? Sickness and, and health, uh, light, you know, um, rich or poor, whatever it is, I will follow you. I will be t- this is that kind of commitment. And so Jesus, knowing where this man's heart is, says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Talking about how his life, he left heaven, he left home, he came here on a mission, that this is not his home, that his whole life here on earth, his whole 33 years was uncomfortable. Because it's very, very important that we see what Jesus is doing. As these almost disciples, as these enthusiastic disciples say, Jesus, I will go with you wherever you go, he does not, as I mentioned before, he does not say, great, I have a plan for you and I love you. Is it because he did not love them? Is it because he did not actually want to give them abundant life? No, it's actually because he wanted them He wanted him, this first disciple, he wanted him to have life. And so he's giving him a warning. If you want to follow me, if you want to have abundant life, know that the cost will be high. He's warning them. It's what I do uh, when I do premarital counseling. I have a couple here who was recently married. I have a, we have a meeting this coming week uh, with another couple that's going to uh, be married this spring. And it's fun. Uh, premarital counseling is fun. Because it's the first time, really, that that couple uh, shares about their uh, relationship. Because, you know, on Instagram, they look wonderful. On Instagram, they look so happy, and life is good, and we, you know, we see them. And if you're single, you think, oh, I want to get married. And, you know, but I've been married 15 years, and... Uh, we've gone through dark, dark times in our marriage, and so I know what, what marriage is. I have a lot of friends who've been married for quite some time, and, and so for me, the first thing that I say uh, to this, to these, to this you know, enthusiastic, right, um, passionate uh, couple, the first thing I say to them is my goal uh, in this premarital counseling you know, session, all these times that we meet, my goal is to break you guys up. That's what I tell them. 
and I smile and say, you know, not really. But my, my goal is that, you know, this guy and this girl would see that marriage is hard, that they will be exposed, that they will be challenged and threatened by each other. And my goal is on that wedding day that they're not in this, you know, stage, um, right, this stage, like, you know, nine, or what, what do you call it? This, this honeymoon stage, and it's, they're, 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 they're in reality. And they recognize it's going to be hard, but really, through life or death, right, through, through health or sickness, through poverty or riches, that I will be there by your side. If you get hit by a car and you, and you get paralyzed, I will take care of you. I will sacrifice my occupation so that this would happen, right? That's what I want. And so my goal in the beginning is to warn them of the challenges of what it really is to be married. Why? Because my goal is that this, this enthusiastic uh, fiancé would learn to deeply commit in order to experience the blessings of marriage. That's my goal, that this enthusiastic couple would learn to deeply commit to experience the blessings of marriage. And so what Jesus is doing here is this. Jesus' goal is that the enthusiastic would-be disciple learns to deeply commit in order to experience the blessings of discipleship. That's his goal. Because for many of us, we were enthusiastic. At one point, we heard the call. We felt the Holy Spirit move. We, we were at that, maybe that youth retreat or wherever it was, and we gave our, gave our life to Christ. But then, years later, for some of you, you've cooled off in your passion. You don't take him so seriously. You've allowed a lot of other baggage in your life, what I would call sin in your life. And you think it's okay because, well, Jesus saved me. It's only by grace alone. I still believe, so I still must be saved. And it's to that person, it's to that person that Jesus says, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you following me? Because Jesus wants this man to be a disciple. He wants him to have true life, but he has to warn him. If you really want life, know that it's going to cost you your life. And so Jesus then explains why it'll be so hard. Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That when you follow Christ, what starts to happen is that your heart starts to change. And all the ways that you found comfort here on earth, after you give your life to Christ, you start to feel that this world is not my home, that these pleasures are futile. It, 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 it uh, reveals within me a greater longing. You start to realize that people see you differently because you are a Christian. The things that uh, once excited you no longer excite you. You start to, you start to realize you are different. That's what happens, that you have no place to lay your head, that this is not your home. And you see, unless you have made that commitment, it is so hard. Unless you've made that commitment, it is so hard because the temptations are so easy, right? The temptations are so pleasurable. You will not persevere in the hard times because you have not committed you waver in times of doubt. 
I want you to know this. See, the road to abundant life in Christ is filled with a thousand deaths. Why is that? It's because what has to die is the sin within you, the ego within you, the heart within you. That's why every day can be challenging when you are a Christ follower. Because there's, 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 there's this other desire, this other passion that is not of God. The spirit within you wants to elevate God and live for God. But the sin within you, that sin that is so evil, that sin that Christ had to die for, that sin is at war within you. And so you, you're trying to crucify and mortify the flesh. And so it's this internal war within you. And that's why it's hard. Because you can't do that on your own. We have, none of us have that kind of discipline. Because we don't have it naturally. You see, the abundant life in Christ is filled with a thousand deaths. And so Jesus looks at this disciple and says, Are you sure? This road ahead, it's hard. Are you sure? You see, if you are a believer right now, what would be happening in you is everything in you saying, yes, God, I know I've failed. But everything in you, you're saying, I want to. I want to. Because the road ahead is hard. But then, the world that you leave behind is also hard. So he's saying, you're going to uh, go on this path, you're going to make many sacrifices because you have now new passions and new desires. And then what he is saying is the things that you love, the good things that you love, you're going to have to start sacrificing them. Because now you are, you are created with a new heart, with new priorities. So with this next disciple in verse 21, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Well, one, this guy is called a disciple. Do you notice that? There's many who acknowledge Christ as something great, some teacher, maybe even God. This man is considered a disciple. And it's to this man, he tells him, follow me. Whatever he was doing, he may have been listening, learning, memorizing all the teachings, but he was not following. And so he says this statement that's so harsh. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. I mean, the commentators struggle with what in the world is he saying? You see, the first would-be disciple, his his uh, error was that he considered Jesus a great teacher, but he was not prepared to make the necessary sacrifices to be a disciple. This disciple did not consider the world that he would have to leave behind. So much so that he talks about his father and how he needs to bury his father. And scholars debate, what is he talking about? Because... It could have been several situations. He could have been, the father could have been sick and that he would need to be buried soon. So that could have been a day, a week, a month, a year. No one knew. 
It could have been that situation. And so if it was that situation, Jesus is saying, yes, your father will pass, but for now, follow me. It could have been that his father had already passed, and they had fairly long uh, burial ceremonies, sometimes revisiting the, the, the site a year later and reburying the father. So it could have been that, where the, 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 the would-be disciple is saying, okay, I will follow you, Jesus, but... I've got this thing to do, it'll take me several months, it'll take me a year, but then I will follow you. It could have been those things, two things that would be very good, even honorable. But what we know, and what virtually all commentators agree on, is that his father did not just pass. It's not that his father just passed, and then he is saying, don't go to the funeral, don't go bury your father, don't, don't do the duties of honoring them. He's not saying that. Why? How do we know that? Well, one, because Jesus would honor the Old Testament. But two, if he just died, he wouldn't be there. It's as simple as that. And so there's this honorable thing that he wants to do, but it's this honorable good thing that limits him from following God. You see, we think of idols as these horrible things, right? Idols can be great things God has given you. So you just elevate that above God. This disciple, he already made some sort of commitment. He made already some sort of profession. He professed, he committed, but he does not follow Jesus. And that should be challenging to hear. Just because you at one point confessed, professed, at one point you lived for Christ, Jesus would say, if you don't live for me now, are you following me? Uh, one pastor says it this way, if Jesus is not first, he is nothing. If Jesus is not first, he is nothing. Imagine saying that to your spouse, right? Honey, I love you so much, but there's this other girl that I love just a little bit more. But honey, I love you. Does that fly? It does not fly. It does not fly with God. Why? Because he is God. There is no other God. Nothing comes close to God. And for us to put something else other than God, above God, clearly shows us we have not seen God. We don't know God. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, yes, the path ahead is narrow and hard. The world you leave behind are things that you will love. But if you see me, if you know me, if I am God to you, you will follow. Is Jesus first or Jesus not at all? Do you see, uh, Matthew, that's the point that he's making. He does not show us what happens to these disciples. Like, don't you wonder what happened? But that's not Matthew's point. Matthew's point is simple. There are many who at one point or another in their life say, wow, Jesus is wonderful. Oh, he is such a good teacher. Oh, I want to live like Jesus. I love how he sacrifices, how he's so humble. All those things are great. But Jesus would say, but if you don't follow me, you have not seen me. If you don't follow me, you have not seen me. If Jesus is not first, he is nothing. He demands wholehearted loyalty. Everything of you, your mind, heart, soul, strength. From when you were 5 to 10 to 15 to 30 to 60, to the day that you die, Jesus demands your life because there is no other God. It's as simple as that. So for you, the simple question is, do you follow now? 
The question is not, do you believe? Many of us, we believe. I think these disciples thought they believed. The question is, do you follow? Do you make the hard choices to spend time with them? When your heart says, no, I don't want to open up and read a book. It's so hard to understand it. Do you make the hard choices to allow him to, to dwell in your heart, in your life? Do you make the hard choices of saying no to certain situations because you have chosen Christ ahead? Do you make the difficult choices of following him? In order to follow him, you have to see that the road ahead is hard, the world that you leave behind, it's going to be hard to leave it, and then you fix your eyes on Christ and you take one step forward, and you take another step forward. And that's what it means to follow him. Because to this disciple in verse 22, he says, yes, let the dead bury their own dead, but he says, follow me. And you have to notice who, it's, who is saying this. If I said to you, follow me, and you don't follow me, there's nothing wrong with that. But when Jesus, when God says, follow me, you may not have heard it audibly, Oh, but you sense it internally. When you hear and sense God calling, oh, you respond. In the same way, when he creates the world and he speaks, everything always obeys. And so when the heart, the dead heart, when it hears God saying, now my child, follow me. How could we not? But you would think, okay, following Jesus, it's going to be this easy road. The passage after this, where does Jesus lead them to? He leads them to the other side of the lake. He could, he, you would think Jesus could have walked there. He does not walk there. He goes on a boat. And he goes on a boat, and he, I believe, brings about a storm, which is what this faith is you follow Jesus, you think it's going to be this abundant life, and the picture of that is you're going to be rich, you're going to get married real soon, and you're going to have this wonderful family, and life is going to be good, and then you're going to die, you're going to go to heaven. And that is not the picture. The picture is great. Jesus is like, great, you're going to follow me. Let's go on a boat trip. Oh, yeah, boat trip, awesome. Storm's coming. A storm is coming indeed. Why does he do that? He does it so that when you follow him and he leads you into the storm and you realize what this world is made out of and then he calms the storm, what happens? You recognize, oh, he is God. That's right. He is God. He is Lord. That's what you realize. That's why he does it. That's why there are storms in your life. Because your heart has to learn, not just by reading, but by experiencing. It's in that storm when you're challenged financially, future, right? All these important things that you want. It's when those things are challenged and then you're forced to pray because we don't pray because we're noble. We pray often because we're desperate. It's in that time that we pray and then we see, oh, he is there. He is Lord over the storm. That's why he asks you to commit. 
Because if you do not commit, you do not take those steps to enter into that storm and then see, oh, he is God. That's why you commit, because he is God. It's that commitment that allows your test, your, your faith to be tested. It's that commitment that allows you to be put in a situation where God has to show up. That's why he challenges you. Commit again. Because for the past year, you've been on cruise control. Every pit stop that you've seen, you've taken. Every time you've had a chance to take a spiritual nap, you have. And he's saying, wake up. Follow me. The gospel is free, but following Jesus is costly. And don't get those two things mixed up. The gospel is free. It is not by your commitment that you are saved. But once you are saved, and your ears and your eyes see and hear God, once your heart tastes what abundant life is truly like, you take those steps. And the, and the gospel is free. You are saved by his work alone, but following him costs you your life. The path to following Christ is filled with a thousand deaths. And so as we end, I want to just simply ask you, are you committed? Are you committed? For some of you, you want to commit even more, but there is a challenge. How can I commit? Because for some of you, your struggle has been hard. The storm has been something that you've never thought that you would experience. You have a lot of questions. You have a lot of doubts. How do you persevere? How do you commit when you literally have no energy or motivation to commit? How do you do that? How do you do that when you've lived this life for so long and all you want is comfort, some taste of something sweet immediately? How do you commit? How do you, uh, how do you commit when you don't have any place to lay down your own head? It's when you realize that that path that you are walking is the path that Jesus has already walked. It's the path where he had no place to lay down his own head. It's when you realize he did leave heaven. He entered into this world where I, you, that we were his mission. It's when you realize that this was Jesus' whole life that his challenges are far deeper than your challenges ever were. But you know, there is a time that he does lay down his head. That same word in the Greek is used again in John's gospel. In John 19.30, it says, And Jesus had received the sour wine, and he said, It is finished. And he laid his head and gave up his spirit. That moment, after Jesus receives the penalty of our sin, that was his mission. So as he comes for that mission, oh, it's in that moment that he's 
in full agony on that cross. And after the wrath of the Father is satisfied because of our sin has been paid for, it's in that moment that he lays down his head. You see, the reason you and I, we commit, it's not because we're so resilient and strong. That is not why we commit. The reason we commit is because we have seen God. We have seen his love. We have seen his commitment. We have tasted this world. We have realized how dark, futile, how it leads us to a misery. You see, the reason we commit again and again and again, it's not that we don't have any choice. You can all choose to leave the faith. It's because you realize, in essence, there is no other choice. This is my life. If this is what God has done, if he dies to give me life, I will die every day so I can have that and so, church, I ask you, not whether you believe, I ask you, are you following? Is Jesus first? There are no spiritual vacations. In the season of COVID, I believe God is doing something in the church. Don't take a nap. Follow him today. Jesus is waiting. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.